Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and jealous beans, boys and girls, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers, especially if you're looking to build a business that's sellable and enjoy the process. Today, we are talking to Mina Elias of MMA Nutrition, master developer of products, I would say, and that's an area that I think is very neglected, partly because it's hard, but it's really, really important to get it right and you have happy consumers and plenty of profit. So Mina, warm welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, it's perfect introduction right there. Very kind. You're a very passionate man. I know you're a, a huge uh, sportsman yourself and you've got into the sports nutrition, not just as some kind of, oh, I might make a bit of money on this, but there's there's a deep background there. So tell us a bit about how you got into the area. How did you end up choosing a, a sort of niche, if you like, and, and how did you get started with that whole process of product <clears throat> development? Yeah. So, so to give everyone a background, I have been obsessed with supplements ever since I was a kid. I don't know if it uh, is deeply rooted in the fact that I believe that maybe supplements were going, is going to be that silver bullet that was going to change my body. But I still remember when I was, I think 14 or 15, I picked up my first supplement ever and it was a, a fat burner. Uh, and it was by Twin Lab. And Twin Lab is a company that's like long gone now. No one knows anything about them anymore, but they were pretty big back then. And uh, I was thinking like, if I took this pill, I'm going to get shredded. And then I, I uh, discovered amino acids. And uh, I talked to some people at the gym about amino acids. And they're like, yeah, like you got to take six pills a day. And I started taking six pills a day. I said, that's it. This is the one. This is going to make me huge and, and I'm going to be ripped. So I've always had this obsession with supplements. And I don't know why, but I still remember even when I was 12 years old, my mom would go to the mall to shop and I would, she knew that I would go to GNC and I would stay at GNC the entire time, three hours, not like in GNC. And she was very happy because she never had to worry about me once she was at the mall. And uh, I would read the label, the front and back and every single ingredient on every single product. Now, it wasn't until I was maybe 16 or 17. And then the internet was, was starting to grow a little bit more and I would research every single ingredient, but unfortunately I didn't know how to research well. So I would just read articles. And if anyone knows anything about articles, anyone can write them. I write our blog articles on my website. They're not by a doctor or a registered dietitian or anything. It was simply <clears throat> just articles to, for SEO. And it's like, what are the top five amino acid supplements? And then you know, I'm going to say some sort of reference to my product and, oh, wow, you know, please buy my product, that sort of thing. And so that's what people have been doing. And that's what I was reading. But then I uh, realized that that's not the, you know, the way to go about research. And 
I, you know, started my chemical engineering and chemistry degree in around 2010. And when I started, I started getting into chemical literature and understanding how to identify like what's peer-reviewed studies and all these kinds of things. And then I started doing more research. And this is all for one purpose is to identify which compounds and supplements will make me a better athlete, like will make me leaner, bigger, more like more endurance, more strength, everything. And so this research just came naturally. And I went from, you know, looking at bottles to researching online to understanding clinical studies and, and uh, peer reviewed research and, and reading about it. And I got books and all of this stuff. And so I had a very thorough background in supplements pre anything entrepreneurship. And then when that moment hit, which was, and, and, and in 2013, I started uh, fighting MMA. So I started training wrestling, jujitsu and uh, striking and uh, started competing. And, you know, um, around 2018 was that breaking point in my corporate life where I realized that this is not what I want to be doing. And this is a dead end. And there was a conversation with my dad while I was on vacation and I was doing again, that thorough research into sub into, you know, protein powders and supplements. And I was looking at a protein powder that was an egg protein powder and any flavoring was all like natural cacao based flavoring. And there was no stevia, all this stuff. And, um, you know, he was like, what are you doing? Like, you're so in, in deep research and uh, doing this stuff. And I said, I'm just trying to find the right protein and I can't. And he said, you should make your own. And that was kind of like the light bulb moment for me. And when, you know, he said that, I said, what are you talking about? Like, it's, it's so impossible to make a supplement brand. Like these are like millions. Don't, don't you need like a hundred thousand? And that's the problem is so many preconceived notions. And I thank God for YouTube and the internet and all these entrepreneurs that are blowing up because all of my friends still have preconceived notions. And they think that starting a business is this massive thing when it's just like, not really, it's just solving a problem. But I said, you know, I don't know, it's probably going to be too expensive. And he said, well, how much? And when he asked that question, it triggered me to have to answer it. And because I didn't have the answer, I said, I don't know, let me find out. And, and I did research and I said, okay, let, let's th- hypothetically say I were to create a pre-workout, a better pre-workout, like the best pre-workout. And it's going to have, you know, beta-anine and betaine and, and creatine and, you know, huprazine A and all of these different you know, ingredients that are going to improve my performance and caffeine, all this stuff and the three different types of caffeine. So I went and I said, okay, let's simplify this. If I bought the raw ingredients on Amazon, so I typed in the, first of all, I did the research. I said, okay, I know what I'm going to create. This is going to be the, the supplement facts. Cause I knew uh, supplements so well like that. I knew which ingredients I was looking for when I was buying a pre-workout. And I said, okay, if I did that at a serving size of five grams and I created a supplement, so I need 150 grams total, five grams times 30. And then I bought the raw ingredients from Amazon and then I mixed them up and, and, you know, spun the whole thing around and put a label on it. Like, you know, bought the, bought a bag or a container, bought a sticker, how much would all that cost? And so I broke it all down and it was going to cost me $5. And I said, it's selling on for $30 on Amazon. Like this is. Wow. And so I said, okay, worst case, worst case, worst case, I could probably just buy a bunch of stuff on Amazon and mix it and buy these bags or containers. I thought bags were cheaper at the time, but containers are just as cheap. But if I bought these bags and containers and then I bought these stickers and put them, you know, and and the FDA labeling guideline is online. So you can just go to the FDA and download their labeling guideline and you can literally just follow. And here's a pro tip, quote unquote pro tip. You can just go to Whole Foods 
because you know that they're like they audit the supplements that come in there and you can like duplicate exactly a pre-workout that they have in there in terms of the labeling and then just change like the wording just don't you know change you don't make any claims change the word but you can see exactly how everything needs to be displayed they have a, a distributor address you have, to have distributor address they have a barcode you have to have a barcode you know all that kind of stuff so that's how i got started into creating the first supplement and the reason that i created it was so it's a it's an electrolyte powder that enhances uh, performance and endurance. And a lot of people don't know this, but when you sweat, you're losing a lot of salt. And then we're compensating with water. And so you're sweating, 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 losing all of these different salts, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and you're just drinking, drinking water every single day. And if you don't replenish that, uh, the muscles need those electrolytes because there's an electrolyte water balance in the body. And it, it has to stay at equilibrium. So if you have a lot of water and not enough electrolytes, the body's just going to flush the water. If you have a, a lot of electrolytes and not enough water, then you're going to have like some, some of these issues that people talk about when people eat a lot of salt. But if you increase your water intake, increase your sodium and, and potassium magnesium intake, your muscles will absorb water better, which will make them perform better. And so at the time, you know, I was an MMA fighter, but I was also on keto, on the ketogenic diet. And on the ketogenic diet, your body flushes sodium even faster than normal because your, you know, kind of blood sugar is very steady and your liver can't hold the sodium as well. So I said, okay, I need something. And I would feel it in MMA. Like I would go out, train really hard, especially the conditioning classes. It's a hot room. You're sweating, sweating, sweating. And then I would be like, man, like, I don't feel good. Like there's some, something like I, I'm trying to hydrate with water, but it's just not doing the job. And, and I looked into it and I said, there's my issue. I, I'm, I don't have enough electrolytes in my body. And when I started really taking a lot of electrolytes, then I felt like my endurance went up. My muscles wouldn't get as fatigued. I could finish a, a two hour workout. And then in, in five minutes, feel fresh again, ready to push for another two hours. And so, you know, when that happened, I said, that's my issue. I, you know, I'm on keto. My body's flushing out all of these electrolytes. I need more electrolytes. So I went on Amazon and I, I typed in, you know, high sodium electrolyte or sodium electrolyte, and there was nothing. And I said, dude, like this is, this is a problem. And so what I did was I talked to my jujitsu coach who was also on keto. He's also diabetic. And he said, yeah, you know what I do? Just buy chicken broth. So I literally bought chicken broth and I was drinking a cup of chicken broth or two cups of chicken broth because it had such high sodium every single night. And, you know, as you can imagine, it's not really fun drinking two cups of chicken broth every night. And so I'm like, I need a faster way to do this. And I started dry scooping chicken broth. So I got like the, the chicken, the bouillon, the powder, and I was dry scooping it. And this whole thing kind of led into, okay, there needs to be a better solution to this. And that's what kind of pushed me into creating the electrolyte powder. So I ended up doing the research. I looked at cl clinical studies. I saw, you know, what ingredients promote, you know, the absorption of electrolytes into the body. What are the main electrolytes that are needed in the body? Is there anything else that I need for it to kind of be well absorbed? What are the dosages? And looked at like, you know, everything from, you know, what, what cyclists were taking and then a study performed on Olympic cyclists and all of this kind of stuff. And I came up with the formula and, you know, and then I had a formula. I ordered the ingredients, mixed it up, put it in uh, containers. I gave it to my friends. I said, you know, I didn't say as my company, I said, a company trusted me with this new formula. They want people to try it. And they tried it. They said, dude, this stuff like works really well. What is it? And then I let them know that it's my brand. They didn't believe me initially, but yeah, the rest is history from there. But it was essentially a story of creating a solution to a problem. 
Wow. <laughs> That's, you're definitely a very classic kind of American entrepreneur in the sense that you're very, very overachieving in everything you do. So that's kind of amazing and inspiring and kind of intimidating in equal measure. I mean, I guess that my advice to somebody, you know, develop product would probably be a little bit scary if I said, right, you need to start 10 years ago and obsess about this for 10 straight years and, and get a degree in it. So obviously <laughs> you have an oh, incredible... You have to get a degree. Like, well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I just obsess about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell me a little bit. I mean, obviously, as you said, just solving problems for people. And I guess that, you know, the decision of who to help came from your own, you know, you were scratching your own itch, really, weren't you? In a very, very major way. And like you were deep, deep, deep diving into it. I love this chicken broth powder idea. I've just got this idea of you miserably spooning was, in this uh, dry bouillon. This is disgusting because it's so salty. I use yeah. bouillon in cooking. I'm, as you can tell, I'm not my physique. I'm not a no athlete, but I use bouillon in cooking. And the idea of eating it is disgusting. So I could see why there was a motivation but, but so it, was how like do... nine, it was 9 nine thirty at night i come back from training i'm like oh my god and i just like we just scoop it chug some water call it a day like you know it, it versus having to heat it up in the microwave and waiting for it to come out and then sip on it and i'm like i just want to be in bed already yeah i can imagine that so for for ordinary mortals who aren't necessarily going to spend 10 years of their life obsessing about something in the same extraordinary focus that you have how do people go about sort of trying to do a version of of what you did without you know having to be you know quite so dedicated because i mean i i'm very very impressed i'm kind of like not surprised you're successful now that i hear how incredibly deep you've gone into this like you're going to be producing something that does a better job you know it's kind of inevitable but how does somebody recreate that without a 10-year dedication like you had yeah and and honestly i don't think you need 10 years i just um, it just so happened right that that was like kind of where i was and and i'm like okay well cool you know this all helps because uh, i didn't decide to go and uh, create a, like a car part right if i was going to create a car part that was going to make my car go faster it would have been a different kind of deep dive it just so happened that, that you know what i wanted to create and in my background work but actually i've done it again two times i've done it with a friend as a case study and you know we'll talk about this case study that i created and i've done it again with my girlfriend and actually my girlfriend came up with everything and uh, it only took her uh, a few months, I think three months. So she was able to do it, but it was a very, you know, when it comes to ingredients and supplements, it was, it was a very simple system of, okay, uh, let's identify uh, what the problem is. And then let's identify every single ingredient in the market that, that solves this problem. So let's say it's sleep. We're talking melatonin, valerian, GABA, you know, all of these different ingredients that uh, promote sleep. And then doing research and, and there's Google Scholar out there. So all you have to do is type in the name of the ingredient and then the clinical studies and look at the clinical studies and look at the research and say, like, is this actually an effective ingredient in solving this problem? And if so, at what dosage? And then make sure that any clinical study that you use, there is a P-score of less than 0.05, which means it's a st statistically significant result. And it's as simple as that. And you know, what, she, what my girlfriend did is she said, okay, let me identify every single ingredient that solves this problem that she was trying to uh, create in her product. And then she identified that she then went in, looked at the clinical studies, identified the dosages, identified which ingredients were just hype and which ingredients weren't. If there's any marketing ingredient necessary. So for example, if lion's mane is a huge craze right now, uh, if you're going to create a, a pre-workout, just throw some lion's mane in there, you know, even though it does not show that, you know, it's going to promote your uh, performance or your anything. I mean, it's going to promote your cognitive ability, but it doesn't 
significantly improve your workouts. But since it's such a hype, you can add it in there, even in insignificant amounts. I mean, it's not it's not the the most you know ethical and value add way of doing things, but still, like marketing is marketing. If I offered you a really good supplement and I said this tastes horrible, you're not gonna want to drink it. If I you, so it's the same thing. Like there's certain things that you kind of have to work with to market the product better. And one of them is marketable ingredients. And the other one is also flavored, like I mentioned. So anyways, once you have that kind of list, your short list of the ingredients that are effective, then it's simply buy those ingredients, mix them, test them, test them on other people and, you know, do a little bit more market research. But the idea all stems from this. It's creating a solution to a problem that's better than everyone else's solution and validating that there's demand for that solution. And those that's the that's the full concept. I mean, you could take just cut this clip and if you do that you're you're going to be successful, but it's you know, figure out what the problem is that you want to solve it. Of course, if you're doing it for money, you're not going to be successful at all. So figure out what the solution is, what the problem is. And you know, the problem is I'm not getting enough sleep. The problem is I wake up in the morning and I'm groggy, but coffee messes me up. And I'll talk, this is the, the premise of the case study. And then, you know, another problem, I'm losing electrolytes and it, it's affecting my performance. And so there's so many problems out there and not even with supplements. You know, if you think my friend, uh, Kian, he created a travel bag. What was the problem? He did not have a bag that could take his laptop, which would go in and out conveniently for TSA, can fit clothes, can have shoes, can have a place for his wallet and his keys and his glasses and all of this stuff. So, cause he was a, a nomad and he wanted to kind of put a bag on and, and just carry it on and, and walk around with it. And life is good. So he created that perfect nomad bag. And so that's again, solution to a problem. He identified all of the other bags, <clears throat> bags in the market. And he said, well, this one is missing this. It's too hard to pull the laptop in and out of this one. This one doesn't have room for shoes. And then he identified all the flaws in his competitors and he developed a better product. And it's the same thing, you know, with my girlfriend, we did the exact same thing. We identified all of the flaws in everyone else's product, and we created a solution that's better than everyone else. And then I said, let's validate the demand. How much search volume is there on Amazon? How much, what's the Google trend looking like? What about the keyword trending? So we looked at Helium 10, we looked at the keyword trends, and a lot of the keyword trends were either flatlined or slightly going up. So I said, this is a good sign. This is not something that's seasonable. This is a problem that constantly needs to be solved. And people are constantly coming and saying, I need to solve my sleep problem. I need a sleep supplement. And then you're like, voila, here I am. I'm this sleep supplement that's better than everyone's sleep supplement because I'm like, you know, don't have melatonin and don't cause a dependency and I taste beautiful and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So that's like the way I go about solving problems and creating products without needing to have a full-on obsession about it. I mean, you're going to have to be obsessed at some point, So, but it doesn't need 10 years of obsession. Yeah, I like that. It's well put. You're going to have to be obsessed at some point. I think that's a very important point to make that if you're wanting to just make uh, money, and frankly, you know, I, I'm just going to fess up and say that I'm not a product development person. I find it painful and difficult, and I'm not very good at obsessing with products. I obsess about business models and nerding and, and finances and weird stuff like that. But I have my own personal obsessions, but it's not products. And if you're that person, then then please don't develop a custom product. I don't do that now. I've got a couple of people who are very obsessive about product development, but I'm in talks with about doing some kind of partnership may end up being that we actually end up, you know, in full business partnership. But the point is, 
you've got to be true to who you are right and i think you're obviously just very very centered on that stuff and, and your girlfriend and your, your friend of the case study same thing so i think you're absolutely right there is something about product development experts that are kind of super focused not to say obsessive type people so very important point to make that and and be honest if you're not i would say to anyone listening like because i'm i'm not for example but there are people out there who are obsessed with products but who don't know how to sell you can work with them if you know how to sell right obviously you you do both sides of the equation you've got that i think you can i think anyone can be obsessed i don't think it's like you know if you just eat sleep and breathe it for for a couple months it's it's not hard but true you wake up in the morning and you're like what am I thinking about? It's it's solving this problem. What am I thinking about solving this problem? In the bathroom, you're like, what am I thinking about solving this problem? In the shower, you're thinking about solving the problem. Everywhere, you <laughs> yeah. just think about, you're like, okay, where can I go to immerse myself more? If I'm supplements, let me go to the supplement store. Let me go to the vitamin shop. And, and I'll tell, like, I'll walk in the vitamin shop and say, listen, like, I'm browsing, so I'm going to be here for like two hours. Just so you know, don't worry. Like, I know what I'm doing. And uh, they'll be like, wow, okay, this guy is weird. But I will literally like browse for two hours. Then I'll like, like look at every single detail, you know, when it comes to the packaging or whatever, the ingredients, the whole thing. So you can become obsessed too. It's just, it's a choice. It's not like um, an intrinsic quality that you can't develop. I think it's just, and I don't do it all the time. It's like three months of obsession, develop that product and then say, okay, we're done. Yeah, nice. I like that sort of obsession on demand. That sounds like a, a marketing course right there somehow. Yeah. Like obsessionondemand.com, you know, go here for the uh, the book and then we'll up you sell you into the course. Yeah, by the way, yeah, I don't own that website, folks. I got there first for copyright. Anyway, so joking apart, a, a good point. I mean, you, you can turn it on and off and I think you're right. At some point, you've got to get obsessed, but equally, sometimes you have to then step away from the product and think, look at it more objectively, right? So I've got a question there. If we zoom back out then, so yours, you're talking very much with starting with identifying a problem, researching solutions and at some point we then also look at validating the market um, google trends obviously search volume competition that sort of stuff what's the sort of order and sequence of that because a lot of people seem to start with helium 10 or jungle scout or viral launch mm-hmm. whatever it is and they they obsess about keyword research numbers and then they just go around in a loop there forever so where do you start do you start with the problem first and then look at the keywords would you start with keywords and then go and try to develop the problem what's the sort of sequence there do you think Yeah, I I always start with what is the problem? And I usually find it in my life because why should I solve problems in other people's lives when I have so many problems in my life? So yeah, maybe I could do some sort of elderly product, but I'm not elderly, so I'm not going to use it. So see, I'm not going to be as passionate about it. So look at a problem in my life. And then I say, there's this thing that I, I think would be an amazing solution. And I say, okay, who's looking to solve these problems? If I were looking for this problem, I would say, for example, coffee alternative, coffee substitute, you know, nootropic coffee alternative. And I would go and I would look at the uh, keyword search results and I'd see, okay, how much, how many people are looking for this? Just to start, like, are people looking for it? So if I did put the best product in the world out there on Amazon, will someone come looking for it, find it? Or will someone even come looking for it? And then the second thing is, let me look at my competition. My and and it shouldn't be like direct competition. They should be kind of close competition because you should be kind of creating a new category when you're creating your product. You're really displacing all of the competition. But for people who have that problem and they went to Amazon and to purchase something that's going to solve that problem, 
how are those competitors doing? The ones that are doing 50, the ones with 50 reviews, 100 reviews, 200 reviews, 300 reviews, non-branded. I'm not talking like, you know, Four Sigmatic came up with a product and how are they doing? Because, you know, they're, they're on billboards, they have stores. I'm talking about just a regular supplement that's on Amazon, 100, 200, 300 reviews. How are they doing? Are they doing $1,000 a month in sales? Okay, well, maybe this is a sign that there's not that many people looking. But if the range starts... 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600 reviews. And it's like 2,000, 5,000, 7,000, 10,000, 12,000, $15,000 a month in, in sales. So now, you know, there's a spread of products out there and there's demand for the product out there. So you want to come in and basically on the menu, they see you and they're like, this is the, the nicest one here. This is the best one here. <clears throat> Versus a lot of people come and they say, I created this product like no one's ever come up with it. And I said, okay, the first thing I'm worried about is, well, is even anyone looking for it? You know, you were looking for it, sure. And so a lot of the times the answer is no, no one was really looking for it. So that's something, you know, to be very careful about. But once I look at the keyword demand, then I look at the competitors, what they're doing in terms of sales and that spread of reviews versus sales. <clears throat> the next thing is I go to Google Trends. And then after that, I go to the stores. So I always go to physical stores and I usually do 10 to 15 physical stores. And I ask them, I say, how is this moving off the shelf? Do people ask you for this? What are the top three, you know, X, Y, and Z right now in, in this category? And I really do some uh, thorough research. Then those are kind of the main touch points. I also have a lot of little touch points. I go to Pinterest. I look at Pinterest. I go to Reddit and I create some threads on Reddit. I go to Facebook groups. So if I was creating a plant-based protein, I would go to all the vegan, uh, you know, groups on Facebook, uh, plant-based groups on Facebook. And I would say, Hey guys, like I'm looking for a protein. I didn't like this one and that one, which is, you know, describing the problem in my life, not letting them know that I'm coming, thinking of coming up with a solution. I would say, what should I do? Who's, who should I go to? Da, da, da. Well, you know, is there a product that has X, Y, and Z? Like, is there, is my solution even out there already? Would you buy it if it's out there? And so I get the conversation going in a few groups and that's kind of, you know, all of the different touch points that I would go through when I'm creating a product. Amazing. This is like a sort of miniature course in product development in, in like 10 minutes. It's quite amazing. Great stuff. And you're very, very thorough. I like the idea of talking to physical store owners. I've, I've heard various things about that. I mean, some of them don't necessarily have a great sense for consumers. Some of them probably do. But what they will have a sense for is their stock That's movement, fine. right? Because they, they will really be aware if they have to keep reordering X supplement, then they'll know very well that that's selling. So that's a really concrete bit of information. I like it. Now, one thing I just wanted to pick up on, one thing you just said sort of almost in, in passing, like you said you should be looking at your close but not direct competition because you shouldn't really have any direct competition so you should be creating a new category tell me a bit more about what what do you mean by that and how do we actually go about doing that sounds quite difficult to achieve somehow not really because when you're creating a solution to a problem you're you're first of all look at all the solutions out there and you know for example we were let's let's talk about the case study right the new tropic coffee alternative so out there there is you know, coffee alternatives and, you know, and, and, oh, you, you know, you don't want to drink coffee. Well, we have chicory coffee, or we have like all these different types of like non-coffee based coffee alternatives that you can, but what if I wanted something that had all the benefits of coffee without all the, you know, negative side effects. And I wanted, I didn't want it just to be like, you know, what is that? The fig coffee or the, the chicory coffee, because it didn't give me all those benefits of coffee. So I said, I wanted to create something with all the benefits of coffee without all the side effects. So 
essentially creating an entire new category of coffee substitutes, which was, so the product that we ended up creating was a nootropic coffee alternative. It had natural caffeine from Kona and Gurana. So you got the energy there, same energy as coffee, but we added coconut cream for the MCT oils, which gave it a bulletproof effect, which means that instead of a spike uh, in energy, you get a slow sustained release of energy due to the fatty acids. Then we added lion's mane, cordyceps, and reishi to boost uh, cognitive abilities, which mushrooms are known to do. Plus, they're also very trending right now. And then we added ashwagandha and maca, which solve the adrenal fatigue that you get from coffee and all the jitteriness stuff. Ashwagandha and maca help with that. And they're kind of like they will refresh your adrenals. And then we added, you know, some uh, turmeric here, some cinnamon here, and we made it taste delicious, like hot cocoa. And so we kind of hit it up from all the different angles because all the different coffee alternatives, people were saying, ah, this tastes horrible. This tastes like shit. And I'm like, okay, well, big, big thing here. We need our coffee alternative to not taste like any of the coffee alternatives out there, but taste delicious. And then we looked at all the different coffee alternatives. There's not enough caffeine. I still, I still want the caffeine. I just don't want to jitter. And you don't have to jitter from caffeine if you add the MCT oil. So we essentially created a product where you're no longer competing and saying, well, Mina's product and this product are so close, but one of them is slightly different. It's like Mina's products kind of like over there. And then, you know, like you, like you have a pizza and then you have like maybe a calzone. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm talking about is I didn't say, you know, go from a pepperoni pizza to a, a you know, a super supreme pizza, not from a pepperoni pizza to a calzone. And because it may be a calzone is easier to hold in your hand and whatever and, and eat it on the go. So that's essentially what I'm talking about. I like it. I like it a lot. So basically you're looking at, I guess the, the competition is not because it's the same exact type of product but because they're solving the same problem but you're just solving exactly. it better. so that's so it's more you're problem driven so you're identifying competition as i want energy but without jitters and the the people who try to provide that are your competitors i get it now so it's not so much like product or even ingredient driven demand maybe it's more like you know coffee substitute or something like that it's almost Probably. like defined by what it isn't i suppose in that situation right it's not coffee but it's kind of like coffee like it i like it a lot i think you nailed it i think you nailed it it's it's the the whole thing is problem driven because Mm -hmm. no one is looking for uh, caffeine they're just looking for more energy so if you can say you know i'm gonna give you more energy but i'm better than caffeine because i'm like with this new thing then who why is anyone gonna say no yeah, I like it. Another way of putting it is it's uh, benefit driven. So in other words, you're thinking, well, what outcome do people want when they buy coffee? They're not really buying coffee, they're buying energy. And that's true for me. Like I drink a lot of coffee. Frankly, I find, I suppose it's kind of comforting ritual now, but the taste of coffee, I remember I used to always find it disgusting. Now I find it just, you know, it's kind of part of my ritual, but actually what I want is the energy. So you're, you're absolutely right. If, if, you know, I'm, I'm in the market for that. Uh, for the podcast, like that bulletproof coffee idea of the sustained, you know, the sustained energy release is very attractive. So, and I guess my my sort of fear would be exactly that I'm drinking something that's going to, I don't know, give me indigestion. It's going to, you know, keep me up half the night or, or, you know, the various fears that you've got to overcome as well. Right. So how do you, by the way, another thing that, that, that brings up, which is the whole, we talked about when to do the product keyword research, which everyone's always obsessing about what people tend to think about less. And you've obviously very much had as a practice is give it to your friends to try it out and get feedback from them because obviously if it does keep them up half the night you really don't want to be putting it out on amazon yet so how do you even identify 
how you know people how do you find people to even be willing to be your guinea pigs because not everyone's going to have friends that are mma fighters if they happen to be producing you know pre-workout supplements for example so is there a way for people to do that if they don't happen to have a crowd of people that are natural users of the product yeah i've done it uh, too in places where like the concentration of people that your target audiences kind of hang out so for example, like let's say that you're going to do something that's more like you're going to create maybe like a new book cover or like a, a five minute journal or something like that. I would go to the library and I would, you know, or maybe I would go somewhere where people like meditate or something like that, you know, because it's a it's a, a journal and generally like that population would journal. And so for for fitness stuff, I would go to the gyms, I would go to the yoga studios, I would go to maybe a cycling club and talk to a cycling club and say, hey. By the way, guys, like I am developing this new product. Are any of you happy to do it? I went to, I went back to my college and I went to the soccer team and I gave the soccer team. I said, guys, we have this new product. Like I want you guys to test it out. And we tested on a few soccer players who I showed up five days in a row to their practices to make sure that they took it every single time. And then at the end, I said, you know, how are you guys feeling about this? So you just have to identify where your target audience hangs out. If you're, if it, you're doing like a, a maternity product, there's like these studios where the moms are doing like this breathing exercise stuff, right? I don't have kids. I don't know, but you can always call them up and say, Hey, can I come in? I have like this idea and you show up and you say, I would love to, you know, just uh, test this uh, on the market. And you can always say, I know there's a lot of people international here, but you can always test it in your market. And then later on, like, I mean, if, if you give zero positive feedback, then it's like, okay, like let's pull back. But even if you get like a half positive feedback, then you can say, okay, we tested it here. Let's kind of put a nice little package on it and say, and then hit it up like in the country that you're going to sell it, like USA and say, okay, for that maternity group in the USA, you send an email and say, by the way, like we created this massive event here in, let's say you're in Ukraine, you say massive event in this Ukraine and the maternity group loved it, da, da, da. Uh, we'd love to tr for you guys to try it out too. It's completely free. Like I just want feedback. I'm uh, like genuinely just like trying to develop something. And, you know, people are people. They're nice. They're not like, so you get, yeah, sure. Let's say you get 10 no's, but you're going to get one yes. So that's all you need. I like it. And uh, again, what I love about this is just this is why product development is not the same as internet marketing, because you, you're no, nowhere near than the internet necessarily here. I mean, you get back to your old college. Yeah, maybe you hit people up on email, but your connection was a physical connection through an institution you were you were associated with. I guess it could be true with the old workmates or anything else. And I really like the fact that you're willing to do that thing where you go, I'm, I'm giving this up for free. I just want feedback. And I've had the experience when I've suggested this to a lot of different Amazon sellers over, over the years. And they kind of look at me funny and going, you mean what in return for reviews? I'm like, no, dude, we're developing a product that people want. It's not about reviews. We're not trying to sell this. We actively do not want to sell it if it turns out to be shit. So I'm now swearing my own podcast here. I shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, if something it turns out to be bad, then we don't want to scale it. And that's the bit that people have got to get their head around. It's like the first thing is people need to love the product and it needs to solve the problem. Right. So that's where you seem very, very good at that. And for me, it's kind of common sense. It, it helps so much. I'm telling you, Yeah. I'm telling you this, like Cognero, which was my best uh, creation yet. And, you know, hard work, my electrolyte supplement, that was amazing. But dude, like the, the power of creating a really good supplement, it's, it's, or, or a really good product. It's just unmatched because once you have such a really strong product, like 
it's it's so easy to market. It's so easy to drive traffic. The conversion rates really help you scale. People are like, there is a Facebook ad agency that I talked to and they were not willing to take some products. They said, no, we don't want to deal with that. It's just, it's not something that we would, would ideally want to run traffic to. It wasn't like anything bad. It was just not something they're like, you know, this is a whatever product, but you know, with Cognor, it's like, yeah, we'll take it on. Like they wanted to eat it up. I talked to some venture capitalists. They loved, loved the product. They, they just, they took the checkbook out right away because the, one of the hardest things is building a really good product. And once you build a really good product, really everything around it can be uh, worked around. Like, you know, you can improve the supply chain, you can drive traffic to it. You can have a beautiful landing page. You can do all of this stuff 10,000 times easier once you have a, a really good product. And then obviously, once you have a really good product, you get good branding, you get really good packaging, and you have a you have a home run product. And then it's all, all it is is just showing people this exists. And then once they know that this exists, you know that it's gonna convert because it's a really good product. And then the word of mouth too. Word of yeah. mouth is very, very powerful. Yeah, I think what you've nailed there is is that people get obsessed with that <laughs> the whole private label mentality, which I was taught about by the by in in the beginning, and which I know that I'm not better than that. This is why I work with people who are obsessive about products. So like you, you have that air as you know the, the, the guy who's like a messianic fervor and passion. It's so important to have that because I think um, everyone obsesses about how to sell. I think it's what Jim. Jim Cochran calls lipstick on a pig marketing. And like, that's just not going to fly. It's 2021. You, you cannot sell some rubbish packaged up nicely and expect the conversion rate to work because all that will happen is people will use it. They'll get some honest reviews. God forbid that we should actually get real reviews. And then they'll hate it. And then the conversion rate will tank. And then there goes your economics. So the finance doesn't work anymore. So absolutely love this. This has been a whistle stop, amazing tour through the, the whole process. If people want to um, contact you, you know, what, what's the best way people will get in touch with you or learn more from you? So um, I'm on LinkedIn, Mina Elias, M-I-N-A, last name is E-L-I-A-S. And then uh, Facebook is the same thing. And then Instagram is at Egyptian underscore prescription underscore Elias. So hit me up anywhere. I'm pretty available and, and easy to find. Amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.